When you're driven by money, that's the wrong motivation because money always follows success. Because if you're driven by money, you'll make mistakes and you will use bad judgment. CEOs often feel stuck in the grind of scaling their business and feel like they're missing out on the best parts of life, like family, friends, or travel. On this podcast, CEOs come to take themselves and their companies to the next level. Let's dive into the Millionaire Mind with your host, Dallin Schultz. Hey, welcome back to another Millionaire Mind episode where I have some of the most successful business owners sharing what motivates them to get out of bed every morning and how they elevate themselves and their companies to the next level. You guys are in for an awesome treat today. So this has only happened, I believe, on two previous episodes where I actually have two partners in the business on our call today. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And not only are they business partners, they are father and son, which is super cool because I myself have experience working in business with my father. And so in the episode today, you're going to hear from these two, not only how they work together as family, but how this entire family vision that has been around for years has really brought them together and how they're really able to serve and help people across the country and across the world. And on top of this, they have experience dealing with vendors and manufacturers across the world. So I'm telling you, you guys are in for a treat today. Super excited to get into our interview today with father and son, the dynamic duo of James (laughs) and Jim. Hey, James and Jim, appreciate you guys being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So before we get into it, James, I'll turn the time over to you for a minute. Why don't you give our listener just a brief background of who you are and what you do? Well, my name is James Tulin, and I am originally from New York. We moved to Arizona in 1997. I spent my entire life in a family business that was started by my grandfather in 1897. That became the largest men's and ladies accessories company in the world. My dad was the CEO of the company for more than 51 years and was immersed in every possible aspect and element of a large NASDAQ-listed corporation. So my background and depth of knowledge is extensive, to say the least. And my son, who also spent his entire life in a similar capacity within our family business, was smart enough to pay attention and learned a significant amount along the way to understand what is really involved and what is required in order to build a company. And the two of us combined together have such immense knowledge in the marketplace, not necessarily just as to how to sell or design product, but every other component that's vital and necessary in order to build a company, from the financial side to the logistics side to so on and so forth. So we put our heads together and determined that there was an opportunity for us both, even at certainly at this point in my life and at his point in his life, to do something really significant and special with very lofty aspirations. We are not doing this for the hell of it. We are doing this to go all the way with this company. So that's kind of the overview of myself. I'm just a normal, regular guy that was very fortunate to grow up in an environment where I loved what I did. And I understand what is intimately involved in what it takes to build a company and to really be great at it, not average at it, but great at it. And I know my son shares the same thing. You have something you want to add to that? 
No, I like that. You make us sound like we really know what we're doing. I'm convinced. Well, even if we don't know what we're doing, we know how to schmooze quite well. So for those of you that are listening to this, don't believe a word I just said. We don't have a clue. <laughs> awesome. So Jim, to our listener, when I say James, I'm referring to father, referring to dad, Jim, son. Okay. So Jim, I mentioned that I grew up around my father and we're actually doing business together now. He managed a lot of real estate deals. He managed a lot of apartments. So I grew up doing a lot of the dirty work, the grunt work, shingling roofs, changing toilets, unclogging sinks, painting, cleaning, doing all that stuff. And that actually turned me off from the family business because I was like, if that was my view of real estate, I was like, I don't want anything to do with that. So my question for you, Jim, is like, obviously, you guys have figured out you're working well together now. Do you recall, was there anything in your childhood as you were observing, seeing what your father was involved in where you were like, yeah, I want nothing to do with that? Or was this something that you always saw potential, saw opportunity? I'm so glad that you asked it. And it it is such a complicated question with a, a complex answer. There was always something in my mind where I always wanted to work with my father. However, if you look at our family, in four generations, I was the first, certainly the oldest son to not go into the family business. And I built my own business. And I did that for 20 years uh, successfully. And I enjoyed it. And it wasn't until I stepped away from that and had a chance to breathe and regroup that actually dad and I were on a golf trip when this idea came about. We were sitting in a hotel in Scotland, figuring out what we wanted to do. We knew we wanted to do something together. And when we started examining all of the lessons and what we had been through and all of the stuff that you you alluded to that made me not want to do it, we said, God, we can avoid all of that. We'll just make our own brand. And we laughed. And then we kind of locked eyes and had that aha moment, right? From the movie, we're like, wait a minute, (laughs) let's make our own brand. Uh, No rules, no handcuffs, our way, no sacrificing uh, quality for dollars. The absolute best, everything, every detail, every vendor, every piece of material, everything the best. So yeah, sorry to, to go on on that answer. There was definitely a big point in my life where working with dad did not seem like it was something that was going to happen. And then when Swank sold in 2012, it looked like that opportunity was gone. So when this came about, it it was really special. It's probably more special now. And I'm wearing the logo on my chest. It's real. It's here. And it seemed like there was a lot of just the right timing, right opportunity. The stars just aligned. And, and, and it no way, down. it was the worst, man. We went... <laughs> We went right out into a storm and built this business during COVID. Dallin, no, that's not true. That's not true because we never relied on luck or opportunity or timing. We never relied on any of that. We're adept and astute and experienced enough. We made the time. We made the opportunity. There was no the stars were aligned kind of thing. This was something that we, this vision presented itself and we took it and we ran. Worst timing. It was extremely hard. There were challenges and headwinds that no one and no business has ever faced, and certainly in modern times. You know, we, as you know, or may or may not know, and maybe the listeners don't, we manufacture everything in Italy from Italian materials and simply moving material from one part of Italy to another was a no no. Everything was shut down. You couldn't move things three hours away. It was incredibly challenging. There were definitely times where you're like, what are we doing? Okay. I want to lean into this because I like where it's going. and I like what you guys said. And the reason why is because we've had some guests on the show that will say, 
you know, we were just in the right place at the right time. And they caught the wave of opportunity. Events led them up to that and they rode that wave. But you guys are saying differently. And this happens in business. You see both sides of this. So you guys are going to bring a unique perspective to this where you said, no, we made this opportunity. We had the vision, we had the skill set. And when all odds were against us, we still prevail, especially during COVID. If you're shipping all your materials from Italy, everything shut down. Nobody could get anything from anywhere. So let's lean into this. Like James, share with us, like, I guess how, like what really brought about (laughs) this? You said the vision, right? You guys, you joked, it started as a joke. And then all of a sudden you were like, that was never a joke. joke. It was never a joke. Okay. I was dead serious. When we sold our family business in 2012, I retired for, I don't know how many years. And we're on this golf trip in Scotland. And I looked at him and I said, I see this. I'm a very visual person, creative, driven person. I'm not a numbers cruncher. I'm a creative thinker and seer. And I had this vision and I saw this thing right out in front of me. The good news was, is I had so much experience in every piece of the puzzle. I knew how to do this. I knew how to put the whole thing together. And I just kept following my lead. And we never looked to anyone or anything to guide us in terms of structure or thought process. We're our own people. And the way that we saw this is the way that we built this without any, well, you can't do it this way. And maybe that's not a good idea. So even when things like COVID came about, the good news is that in our family business that was rather large, nobody's business goes like this. It's always like this. And the thing that our former company did great, this is always crises. Nobody panicked. We knew how to take care of and address all the landmines. So when COVID happened, it was a pain in the rear end. The supply chain was just ridiculous. And we figured it out because I've had 40 years of experience dealing with suppliers. You really think the supply chain is different if I'm buying goods from Italy or China or India or Peru? It's all the same crap. So we just mushed forward, did what we had to do. We knew how to address these issues, and that was it. And got on an airplane as soon as it was feasible and you know realistic to do so, and went and finished the job. It was not ever a question as to whether or not it could work down. There's, I think, just one thing that anybody listening that's trying to, or contemplating a business uh, or a move of any kind, there's no fail. There's no if, there's no what if it doesn't work. It's going to, it's an inevitability. You have to view it as such. You have to always assume the win. I remember the greatest putting tip I ever got was from a mini tour player that we used to play golf with in Scottsdale. When I asked him, what was he thinking about when he stood over a putt? And he said, really simple. I'm figuring out how many fingers I'm going to use to take the ball out of the hole. And that stuck with me. He assumed that that ball was going in the hole. And that was the mindset he had to have to stand over the putt and make it go in when your dinner depends on it, right? When it really counts. It's not to say that there are never moments of doubt. There are, man. That stuff creeps in. There's definitely times where you question your own sanity. I'm sure there's times when my father said, why did I decide to not be retired anymore? But you get up every day and you go do it because you know it's going to work. It's just a question of how much you're going to have to do today to make it happen. 
So James, you mentioned earlier, you're the visionary, you're the creative thinker, you had this vision, you were very intentional in bringing it up to Jim on this golf trip, and you could see it, you could see it all playing out. In my experience, a lot of successful partnerships, you've got the visionary, you got the creative thinker, and then you have the integrator, the one that's very good at organizing, executing on that vision. How does that dynamic play into the two of you? It's an interesting question because we are probably identical in personality and identical in thinking. However, my dad ran this successful company. He was not a micromanager. He was not a finance guy. He was a product build the business guy. We have finance people to do all that crap. I know what I'm good at. I also know what I'm not good at or where my interests are. We are a perfect complement because Jim's mind is much more financial and operationally oriented. I'm not, how do I say this? It's not that I'm the opposite, but I'm the opposite. I sat on our company's board for 27 years. So I have a deep financial background. But where my real interest is, is in the product and building out the structure of the company in a manner. Jim is more operationally oriented. However, I spent my life in a company that lasted 115 years with the average tenure of an employee of 34 years. That's unheard of. So I was exposed to that type of culture, which everybody talks about, but nobody knows what the hell they're talking about because they never experienced it. I did my whole life. And so did he. So we bring very specific complementary skills to the table and we don't overstep each other's boundaries because we both know what we're good at. And I don't tell him how to design a shirt if he's got an idea in his head. And he doesn't tell me when I make a budget call or a financial decision, a vendor relationship. So we complement each other pretty well. I hate the generation thing. I think that's a cop out. I think that just being a different age than someone doesn't necessarily give you a different vantage point. But I think that we blend very nicely the best of the old way of doing business and the new ways to get it done. We still believe that a man is only as good as his word and you do business on a handshake like my great grandfather did when he founded this business, or excuse me, when he founded Swank. But we also understand that there are new ways, new abilities, new tools and technologies to get the effectiveness of the old ways to get the maximum efficiency out of the older way of doing things. We blend That's true. I think that is crucial in our time. And I've shared this with a lot of people with how connected you could say we are through social media and things like that. I personally feel like we've never been so disconnected as people. And so your ability to maintain that doing business with a handshake, however, viewing some of these things as useful tools and being able to blend them, I think that's what's really going to set successful businesses apart <laughs> moving forward. Do you know that starting a new company, for those that will be listening to this, this is not for the faint of heart. This is hard to do. Even with my degree of experience and exposure, and I didn't come from some mom and pop business. We came from a large company that sold the world. So even with this degree of experience, I've said to my son many times, I have never been involved in anything as difficult and as time-consuming and challenging as starting a new company. And the interesting point is, is that you know that most founders are probably aged between 35 and 45. It's a fact. 
that founders over 60 are three times more likely to be successful than a founder at 30? The obvious answer is lack of experience, right? So look at the blend here. We have the old school and we have the new school and you marry it together and it's a dynamic combination. Damn. Amen. Is there anything you want to add to that, Jim? I mean, I could go on for a while on that. I don't know how much you really want to hear. Yeah, dive, let's dive a little deeper. Let's give our listeners a little bit more insight because you guys bring up, I think, a very, very valid and get, solid point. Yeah, you want to get really deep and real for your listeners for a minute? Let's do it. Are you ready to lay in bed at night and cry at least once? Yeah? Be ready to question your sanity. But most importantly, be ready to get up the next day and go do it again. Why do we put ourselves through this as business owners? I think most people don't. I think that's why the failure rate's so high. That's why it's not a 90% failure rate. It's very clear to me. After living this the last couple of years, I completely understand why most people fail. I absolutely do. And why yes. so few why so few are successful. This is really effing hard. And unless you are built with unmitigated perseverance and drive and relentlessness and passion for your craft, you will fail. Yeah. You will. It'll beat you into a coma because the ups and downs are, even for us, I mean, look <laughs> at our experience. I mean, we should be uh, just cruising along here. It's now, hard. We knew, we knew exactly what to do, who to call, how to make it work, how to get a customs broker involved, how to move your freight. We knew this. We knew all this stuff that most people have to go and learn, right? Who's still climbing Mount Everest. It was still hard. So no matter how much you know or how much experience you have, more importantly, no matter how much money you throw at it, it's going to be hard. And if you're not willing to get up and do hard every day, then it's not going to work. Gallon, that's why one of the most successful people on the planet was Steve Jobs. Was his famous quote, give me a guy who has unmitigated perseverance over a guy that's relatively smart and I'll take him every day of the week. Why would he say that? He was a pretty bright guy, right? So why would he say that? Because it's a fact. There's a lot of Harvard MBAs out there driving taxis because they just don't have the metal to do what it takes when they get knocked on their butt day after day after day. Do they have the metal to get up and say, let's do it again? You can't ever hold me back. And that's what it takes. And that's why the 90% rate of failure is what it is. And that's really it. It is simply being relentless. And the people that succeed are that way because they are relentless. Nothing will stand in their way. Nothing will stop them. And I know that you don't know dad or I that well, but we're pretty stubborn. <laughs> and that's an understatement. We were both born in early April, two days apart. So we're pretty much been going head to head since I could talk. We are relentless and nothing will stop either one of us. This was always... We get asked sometimes about the turning point in the business. What was it that, you know, made you know it was going to work or be a success? It was the minute we started. Assume the win. That's it. It's just time. To our listener right now, I hope you understand why I specifically title this podcast A Millionaire Mind, not how to start a business, not what James and Jim just shared with us. Jim shared with us. They had everything. They knew the brokers. They knew how to do everything. And this was still one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And it was that mindset. It was that relentless mentality to get up and keep going even after you get knocked down. That's And assuming that win, that's what's making them successful. That's all up here between your eyes. So 
to our listener, this is like, if there's an episode that I want to highlight as like highlighting this podcast, this is probably going to be one I'm going to go back to, honestly, because especially with both of you coming at it the way you are and sharing your perspectives, I can't think of a better episode to really highlight what point I'm trying to get across here to new business owners, aspiring business owners, wherever you're at in your journey, it is 100% up to you and your mindset. Now, a question I have that I want to ask both of you, James, I'll direct this to you first. What have you personally done outside of business to prepare your mind to be able to withstand the everyday challenges of business? I think that if we're being really candid here, shall we? This is not something you go to Walmart and pick it out at aisle seven. You either are built this way or you're not. I, fortunately, my wife says, I drive my wife crazy. She says, I have OCD. You're damn right I do, because that's what it takes. So this is who I am. This is not learned. This is not bought. This is not, this is me. I am a perfect fit to do this. Perfect. Because I am just relentless by nature. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I didn't go to Harvard. He's the smartest guy in the world. He's a hell of a lot smarter than I am. But you can't fabricate this. You either have it or you don't, which is another reason why the rate's 90%. I'm a perfect fit to start a new company. Perfect. And so is he. It's so funny. is he. People talk about growing up with a family business, growing up in a family business where the family owns a business. And that's typically what the perception is of that, that the family owns the business. The truth is that the family is the business and the business is the family. And I don't know if a lot of people really understand what that means, but that means that every time we were all together, the conversation was about the business, the hierarchy within the family, how the members of the family stacked up in the pride. And let me tell you, there were some lions with my last name was all dependent upon the business. We were the family was the business. The business was the family. We grew up with all of those lessons of childhood for us. Some dads give you a golf analogy. Some dads give you a baseball analogy. Mine was lessons about the dangers of dealing with the retailer. So when you ask me well, what specifically prepared us for this, dad hit it on the head. Life, our lives, our paths, our journeys, our different, our very different journeys in the same family led us to here. He's 100% right. There was an extra table, an extra seat at the table. My dad was home every single night for dinner. He ran a big business. How did he do that without emails and faxes and cell phones? God only knows, but he sure as hell did. Business was part of the family and the family was part of the business. There was never any separation, but it wasn't like every we were working 24-7. 10 years in a row. It was the same vibe at the house as it was in the office. (laughs) Business was everything. It was everything, everything. And that's how I grew up. And that's how he grew up. And we don't know any other way. It sounds to me, you guys, it was an obvious integration, work-life integration. And it wasn't like, hey, we're leaving the office, turn the lights off. We're not talking about work anymore. Like this, it was just a, a continuum of business, right? Like there wasn't go to work, clock in, clock out, go home, focus on something else. No. If I'm hearing you correctly, this was a integration. Certainly certainly downtime and certainly hobbies and and all that stuff. But the whole structure, the whole nature of things, it was all one and the same. It was just growing up for me. I mean, think about it. I was born in the late seventies. The company was already over 80 years old. 
it was just an institution. It kind of existed. It was another being to us. It was just part of the family. I mean, I still have the main switchboard number of the Swank office in my head. I dialed it from school. Of course. It's very hard to... um, I can close my eyes and smell the office. It's very hard to... I mean, for us, it's very easy to explain. It may be very difficult for your listeners or many people to really understand the gravity. They can't possibly understand the gravity unless they were involved in a similar situation. But a lot has to do with how you are wired. Nobody wants to work for anybody else. They all want to start their own business. Of course they do. It sounds like a great idea. I'm going to start my own business. I got a great idea. It's not that simple. It's not. If you look at the main reasons why startups fail, it's not lack of cash. It's lack of team chemistry, lack of market fit. It's what happens when you hit the landmine. The younger founders of today, they bolt and they move on to the next thing. Look at the LinkedIn profiles and the average tenure of a middle management person in today's marketplace. Three years. I never heard of anything like that. 34 years was the average tenure at our company. People update their resume the second they get a new job now. We don't understand that. We do, of course, but that's not the world that we know. And that is certainly not the world of our company. That's for damn sure. I love it. Listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, what I want to start talking about as we wrap this up is really what it is that brought you guys together to start this new company. Because you said you started 2020. So this is three years. And Jim, you mentioned you worked 20 years. You started your own business. I want you to invite our listeners into this transition and really what brought you two together and decided to move forward with this. So we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and we're going to get into it. Hey, Dallin Schultz here with Rev Equity Group. We just launched an exciting new investment opportunity for those looking to diversify their investments across a thousand plus apartment units in some of the hottest markets in the country. If you are fed up with banks and the stock market and want to invest in hard assets to more effectively grow and preserve your wealth, then click on the link in the show notes for more info or go to investwithrev.com and schedule a short 15-minute intro call so we can determine if our investment strategy is aligned with your goals. It's time to take your financial future into your own hands. Take action, schedule a call, and find out how my team can serve you. At Rev, we make apartment investing easy. Awesome. All right. Welcome back to Millionaire Mind. So I don't know who wants to take this question from here, but what was it that really brought you guys together in 2020 to decide after all these years, let's start this business together? Well, as Jim mentioned, we're sitting in a hotel room in Scotland on a golf trip. Two Two years prior. Two years prior. And I mentioned to him, I have this idea and so on and so forth. So initially, for the first year and a half, maybe two, I did this by myself. And I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. And could I go out and find various people to bring on board to help build this company? Of course I could. However, my son is extraordinarily bright. And he's extraordinarily gifted in areas that I'm not. And once he started to see this thing really taking shape, when you're driven by money, that's the wrong motivation because money always follows success. Because if you're driven by money, you will make mistakes and you will use bad judgment. And once he started to see where we were headed, 
he was all in because he saw the opportunity to build something inordinately special that we could really be proud of and do something unique that was ours. When I made the decision to join dad full-time, I had been away from my career for two years. I had a great amount of time to think, space, prioritize, and, and realize what was important to me and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And when we started to look at all of the things that were possible within this brand, it was really the ability to do all of the things that we had dreamt about that Swank never could do. Because as a licensee of all these various brands that Swank made the goods, excuse me, there's a visitor, uh, there were handcuffs. And it was never really up to dad or up to Swank exactly what got made. So for us as our own brand, there were no more restrictions. There were no more rules. There wasn't a price point that we had to stay under. We could really go out and build the best quality garment uh, that was possible and the best quality accessories possible without thinking first about price. When I saw the opportunity to go and do something special, I thought about my great-grandfather. And I thought about how my father and I, my brother, my uncle, my cousins, everyone in my family for the last hundred years owes absolutely every wonderful thing that was ever that we were ever blessed with to that man and his buddies. When he started Swank and I thought, wow, dad and I have a chance to do something really special here. And maybe if two or three generations down the road are talking about something we did, That'd be really cool. But maybe we build something as big and important one day on our own. It's really just the next chapter. You know, as I said to my father before we got around to our launch, which felt like it was hitting roadblock after roadblock, which goes back to what I said earlier, be ready to get up and bang your head against the wall and do it again and do it again. But coming to the launch, it, it was just evident that there was absolutely nothing that was going to stand in our way. Nothing. It sounds like there was something internal that just, you knew, like there wasn't going to be anything that was going to stop you. There's still one. If you're listening to this, don't think that at our point or really at any point of any business ever that you just hit the autopilot and sit back and go get a cup of coffee. That is just not reality. That's not what happens. It's still a fight, man. It's still a grind. I'm still dealing with stuff every day. So is that. It's not easy. And if it's easy, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you're probably screwing something up. Uh, what you just said there, Jim, I think more aspiring business owners and entrepreneurs need to get and need to understand. And it's interesting you bring that up. I've seen that in the real estate space. A lot of people get into real estate investing because they want that passive income. There's no such thing. I'll tell you right now, there's no such thing there. It doesn't matter what you're investing in, whether it's a business, whether it's real estate, there are going to be daily, weekly, monthly challenges. And this idea of just starting something and taking a back seat and letting it run itself. That's ridiculous. It doesn't work like that. Thank you. with, With nine or 10 rental properties in the Phoenix market, What do you think his life is like around late June, early July every year when everybody's AC starts going out? You think it feels like passive income? Yep. Or when the pool filters are all jammed up from the monsoon season or when a tenant trashes the place, there's no such thing. There just isn't. And Dallin, as I mentioned to you, 
one of the things our former company was great at was when the blank hit the fan, nobody panicked. And trust me, over my 40 years, and my 40 years took me to when I first started working full time, but I had been exposed to the company since I could stand and pee. So I had exposure my entire life to this company. There were plenty of issues. Nobody panicked. Nobody. And that sense of calm, there are going to be landmines every single day without fail. How do you deal with it? What do you do? And that is a key ingredient. And good friend of over 20 years, he's an airline captain, and we'll, we'll leave the airline's name out of it and his name too. But in the whole time that we have been friends, and this spans a couple decades, never seen him too high or too low. He's pretty much even keel. And it really gives you the impression that if, God forbid, alarms start going off in the cockpit, he's just going to very calmly and casually do what he was trained to do. He's not going to freak out. Um, he's just going to follow his procedures and do what he knows he's supposed to do and put the thing on the ground safely. Uh, that's what you have to be ready to do. They were, it's funny it, going through all of this stuff when we were trying to raise money in the beginning and we went through the equity crowdfunding after hearing, you know, all countless no's from all these different VC guys. Everybody wants to look at these spreadsheets and these financials and these projections. And I, I finally got to a point where I said, guys, you've been doing this a while. When's the last time you have ever seen anything go according to a spreadsheet? I said, you're investing in our ability to put the plane on the ground when the cockpit fills up with smoke. That's it. Down, you know what I would add? If this was the end of this podcast, I would say the following. To those that are listening, it's very easy to pump yourself up. And it's very easy to talk the talk. The only difference is, who's the talk for? Are you convincing yourself? Or is this really who you are? because if you're trying to convince yourself of all these things, you'll revert. You'll become who you are because leopards never change their spots. You either are or you're not. And sometimes luck comes into play and that's a good thing, but luck ain't taking you over the finish line forever because you are going to hit the wall. Then what do you do? So what we've imparted on this podcast is who we are with no holes barred. It's a fact. Yeah. Yeah, this is who we are. Good, better, and different. I don't know if I even want to touch that. It's true. Yeah. Well, very well said. And Jim, when you were talking about raising capital from venture capitalists, this is something that my team, because we do a lot of education with a lot of people want to get into real estate. And so we bring value by saying, hey, here are some of the things you want to look at. The number one mistake that I've recognized people make when wanting to invest into real estate they spend 80% of their time looking at what? Spreadsheets, numbers, everything like that. And I get it because it logically helps them come to a decision saying, oh, I looked at the numbers. The numbers look good. Like I have <laughs> something. And we tell people that is the number one mistake. You need to be spending 80, 90% of your time vetting that operator because you can have an incredible deal on paper, incredible deal with a bad operations team. And they're going to drive that deal into the ground. Now you have an okay deal with a phenomenal operations team that has a track record of executing, and they're going to hit a home run because they're going to be able to operate when things go south. 
Why do you think 70% of VCs and angels never see a nickel on their investment? Their focus is on the wrong thing. They operate in a bad business model because if we were going to try to convince you or, or your listeners or Joe Blow to invest in our company, you're investing in me and my son. The business means nothing because Absolutely. you'll never know enough ever to know whether or not we really are onto something because you didn't spend your life in this space. You have no yeah. idea if what we're doing will ever work. Yeah. You're investing in me and Jim. And 100%. Team. I know nothing about accessories or men's fashion, right? So like, how can I sit there and truthfully vet an investment opportunity in that industry? You can't. I can't. I can't. I'm investing in you guys. Because that's correct. My father mentioned, I'm the numbers guy, and, and I think and dream in numbers sometimes. And I look after these mind-numbing calls with these VC groups, and, and I know they're wrong 70% of the time, but they give you the same line over and over again. It doesn't fit our model. Your model is wrong 70% of the time. <laughs> What are you doing? Why are you? They're not idiots. Now, these are some of the brightest, most astute financial minds in the world. Let's give credit where it's due. However, they are so painted into a corner for various reasons. I understand different funds have different requirements and so forth. But it's amazing to me who sets out on a ship and goes, eh, we got a 30% chance of making it to our destination. Come on, let's get it. That's not a plane or a ship I'd get onto, right? No. <laughs> no. I don't understand it. But their wins are big enough to cover the losses. I understand the, the economics of it, but I don't understand why maybe a bit more intuition or judgment can go into some of these decisions and, and try to... Try they're enamored by the wrong no. things and their focus is you definitely know. on the wrong things. It just is. It's the way it is. Now, let me ask this, because you mentioned, James, I believe it was you earlier saying that if you're driven by the money, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to make bad judgment. Do you think that some of these VC funds are driven more by the money than they probably should be? You know what, Dallin? We really shouldn't comment on it. That's not our business. It, it's really not. We're not venture capitalists. And, and I don't really know what's in those guys heads so it's probably best not to comment and make assumptions especially since i know where dad will probably head with us on um, <laughs> we walked away from that world and we went and did it through equity cf where we did an equity crowdfund we did two rounds we raised just about a half a million dollars in investments ranging from a hundred dollars up into the six figure range and for that reason I'll always make sure we leave that door open for the everyday investor. If there's somebody who only has $150, $250 that they believe in us and they want to invest in us, I will always make sure they have a door open for us because those are the people that helped us get this started. And it's about bringing other people along with you as well. Absolutely. So that's why when dad brought me the equity crowdfunding thing, he didn't say equity crowdfunding. And I didn't know enough at the time a few years ago about the subject. And he said crowdfunding and immediately thought, Kickstarter, we're going to launch a luxury brand on it. No, that's different. That's not equity crowdfunding. And we dug into it a bit more. And really what it does is it provides a level playing field where the everyday person who has a small amount or relative, I should not say small because the $150 is not a small amount to some people, um, that they should be able to invest in a startup too. 
You know, the startup world has been closed off to accredited investors till the equity crowdfunding uh, regulations came along and made it possible. So I love that it makes that available. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're, you know, we're always only going to have that as a source for investment uh, and that you know, we don't have a relationship with a venture capital firm or an investment banking firm. I'm sure one of them will come out of the woodwork once all the heavy lifting's been done and want to put their arm around us and have a beer, uh, as it were. But hey, there always needs to be that door open uh, for the, the, the everyday person to invest. I think that's really neat. Well, James and Jim, I knew this episode was going to go by super quick after our first 10 minutes before we started recording, just getting to an opportunity to chat with you guys. So as we start wrapping this up, what's next for your company? Where are you guys heading? What are some of your five, 10-year goals? What are you hoping to really accomplish with what you're doing? You want me to respond to that or you want to respond to it? We really just kicked off wholesale sales. Um, So you'll start to see us in... Uh, some finer country clubs on the West Coast, as well as some of the finer men's shops throughout the country. Uh, so we're going hard into this wholesale selling season now through about February. More direct-to-consumer products are going to start coming online here shortly. We'll be expanding into some other classifications. Uh, you'll start to see our belts and, and wallets come available. Our shoes are, are done. I think we'll be putting those into production hopefully later in 24 gosh we're working on all different kinds of things what's our gosh five years 10 years down i i don't know i mean if i get a chance to plug our foundation real quick it's to make sure that we raise a whole lot of money for helping hounds and help a whole lot of animals and people along the way i think getting out there building a monster business that goes without saying right we're not here to do nothing we're here to make some noise we're here to disrupt the luxury fashion world a little bit um i don't really love the direction it's been headed in over the last several years so here's our chance to do a little something about that but it's definitely important to me that we do a lot of good along the way james anything you want to add to that my aspirations like my son's aspirations we're not doing this to build an average company we're building doing this to build a monster and monster not necessarily in terms of revenue monster in terms of notoriety exposure credibility people loving and wearing our goods to do something that makes a mark that truly makes a mark that you can look at and say we built this from nothing so there's no focus whatsoever on the financial side at all zero because that will always come (laughs) <laughs> for any of our investors that are listening please don't worry i have full, full handle on the finance <laughs> no but i have a real issue with because i don't understand i've never really a women's jewelry business many years ago there was a licensee at the time probably the foremost luxury women's ready-to-wear brand certainly in this country and they came to us and asked us if we would develop women's jewelry for them which we did which you know when we started this conversation about luck and things maybe the timing was right we built a massive business inside of a year and a half with two billion dollar elephants in the room that were our competitors and we ate them up just to ate them up alive the ladies business is is trend heavy um very very high fashion heavy and dangerous for a new company to get involved in 
that trend can quickly leave you swamped with inventory that you maybe don't want. And one of the lessons from my childhood was also that inventory is not like fine wine. It does not get better with age. So avoiding trend. I mean, look, look at our stuff. Look at our style. Look at look at what dad and I are both wearing. It's timeless. It's classic. It's easy to understand. You don't need to pick up a GQ or log on to a website to figure out how to get yourself dressed. It's easy to understand. Uh, we've done the pairing for you, really, uh, with the with the trims and the accents. Simple, and it's not going to. Uh, you know, I, I laugh because I'm in this boat and I down, I think we're about the same age. When I look at pictures of myself in the nineties the in high school, oh boy. <laughs> so we don't want to be looking back at ourselves and the way we were dressed 10 years from now and say, who is that guy? Um, this is timeless. The shirt my father's wearing, that could be in a picture from the seventies or it could be in a picture from 10 years from now. We have enough experience. We know what sells. We know what colors sell. We know how to do this. So we built a brand to sell volume. However, we threw caution to the wind and built the product. I mean, how many brands do you see out there where everything down to the woven labels made in Italy? Nobody. No we one. Spend almost $11 a shirt on buttons. But that's true. That's true. So wow. this gives you an idea. Look, when you When you get into a Ferrari and you step on it, on a track, hopefully, because that's where it's legal. You don't want to think, uh, maybe they, they cut corners on the materials for the control arms. No, and you paid top dollar, you expect the best. I'm asking people to part with over $200 for a casual shirt. Now, certainly a great value for what we're providing. However, a lot of money. Now, I've got to give you your money's worth or I'm insulting your intelligence. I see a lot of brands out there that are selling people inferior product at inflated prices with ridiculous margins. That's an insult. And they do it simply for the badge on the chest, right? If I'm going to put your logo on me, I want it to say something. I'm happy to overpay um, for this letter on my chest. No, I, I would rather it say I'm smarter than that. Well, if it, and if it's done right, it's going to fit good. It's going to look good. You're going to feel good and it's going to last. So that $200 shirt you're getting probably going to your ROI on that. I can imagine is going to be significantly better than your $20, $30 shirt. But you left the best part out. And it's going to sell. Well, and it's going to sell. But a comparable shirt with comparable materials anywhere else in the market is 25 to 30% more expensive. Wow. That's rough. You know, we don't have a $2 million lease on Park Avenue. Right? We, don't, we don't run a business that way. Um, I don't have some, some crazy celebrity endorsements, right? I'm not running Super Bowl ads. We've got a fair margin there for the product that we provide. I think we provide an excellent product. And I can tell you, I have more hours than I care to admit on airplanes and in strange beds trying to make sure that that product was awesome. I think that says a lot about just who you two are as founders and the integrity that you you possess and the people that you want to bring along with you and impact, whether it's through the clothing or the investment. So I think that says a lot about you too. Well, listen, guys, we're we're out of time. Before we wrap this up, I'd like to get a golden nugget from each one of you. If there was one thing you could share with our listeners that you've learned over your years of experience that can help them get to that next level, what would that be? So James, let's go ahead and start with you. 
be prepared to look into the mirror very clearly and have a very intimate conversation with yourself as to what you really want to accomplish. Because without that, this is too difficult. You need to really be honest with yourself. Will you do what's necessary in order to achieve your dream? Love it. And once you've answered that for yourself, get off your butt and go do it. And don't let anybody or anything stop you. Well said. Gosh, that just, you guys just piggybacked right off of each other. I freaking love well that. <laughs> well said. He's right. You should see us on the golf course. <laughs> we gave you the absolute, unadulterated, factual, from the gut, one hour's worth of information for what anyone wants to do with it or not. Or, But everything that we have imparted comes from the heart. Everything. Yeah, this was easy, man. This is just real. This is who we are. And I, I could easily pick up on that, and I know our listeners will as well. And so if you are listening to this, I'm telling you right now, this is going to be one that you want to go back and listen to because James and Jim here speak nothing but but truth. And they've been through it. They lived it. They have experience. Go back, listen to it. These nuggets that they just dropped with us at the end of the episode, they've dropped them throughout the entire episode. And so go back and listen to it. So look, this has been an incredible conversation with James and Jim. And if this is your first time listening, I'm so glad that you tuned in. People have been asking me what my company does. So since I have you here listening to my show, I'll share that with you now. So my company partners with Busy Professional, just like James and Jim, that are looking to experience significant tax savings, have more to invest, and even reinvest their hard-earned capital. And we work with other successful business owners like you by offering them opportunities to invest alongside us in large apartment deals. At Rev, we found that most successful business owners have a strong desire to give and to serve. And we simply provide a vehicle to enable them to grow and preserve their wealth so they can give of their time and financial success more abundantly and freely. If you've been wanting to get involved in apartment investing, but have been too busy to figure out where or how to start, then you can find out how I can serve you by visiting investwithrev.com and schedule a 15-minute discovery call. A lot of people think they need millions of dollars to start investing in apartments, and I'm here to tell you that is not the case, and you can likely start today. It can be overwhelming vending the right investment and the right operator, but at Rev, we make apartment investing easy. James and Jim, again, thank you so much for your time. I'll be honest, this is one of my favorite episodes. And I don't know if it was just, I saw a lot of similarities because I'm in business with my father as well, but really, really appreciate you guys just bringing fire to today's episode. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Enjoyed it. And to our listener, remember, you can't have a million dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. So go out there and earn your win for today. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Hope you got value from this episode of The Millionaire Mind, a journey into the mindset of successful business owners. If you want to get results, you've got to take the right steps to get there. Dallin hosts a free weekly educational webinar focused on teaching you how to start investing in apartments so you too can experience the benefits of real estate ownership without doing any of the heavy lifting. There you can gain insights, connect with others like you, and ask Dallin all your burning questions about how you can start owning apartments today. Go to themillionairemind.us. That link is in the show notes.